Hello, everybody. This is the Chocolate News Podcast, and I'm your host, John Alexander Reese. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the leading African-American old newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area and northern Kentucky area. Today, we have with us our digital correspondent, Andrea Carter. How's it going, Andrea? Hi, John. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. And we also have our special guest, attorney Fanon A. Rucker with us. How are you doing today, Mr. Rucker? I am absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you all. Thanks for coming on. So, Andrea, what's the chocolate news of the week? Well, there are a number of things that have happened this week, but I think the most exciting thing that happened was the France memorializing Josephine Baker. It was a beautiful ceremony. France 24 showed it live, and we were able to put it on our Facebook page so everyone could watch it. And I think it was just a wonderful and moving tribute to a woman who was more than just wearing bananas on the stage. She was a spy. She was a a woman who believed in civil rights. She believed in um, a colorblind world. She adopted 12 children from different countries around the world. And she just believed in being a human, a decent human being. And um, even though she's buried in Monaco, what they did is they collected soil from four areas where she she impacted the most in her life. They put that soil in a coffin and then they put the coffin in the Pantheon. And she has become the first black woman to be, to be buried in the Pantheon. If anyone gets a chance to read the speech by President Macron, it is very moving, very passionate and very detailed about her life and also about the state of um, discrimination and racism today in the around the world. And I thought he just did a wonderful job honoring her. Yeah, I haven't read much about um, Josephine uh, Baker, but um, the little bit I did read, she was definitely a very fascinating person, so. Oh, she was, she really was. So the next thing that happened in the news is Barbados gave up their allegiance to the Queen Elizabeth and they um, inaugurated their first president and our very own, well, I can't say our very own, but um, Rihanna was named their national hero, which is unbelievable. And um, so that went on. They honored Charles, I'd say Prince Charles, and but Barbados is now a republic, the first time in the history of their country. And I am so glad about that because I'm so glad these islands are finally becoming a republic and they're not under British rule anymore because that's so antiquated and I'm glad these islands are finally gaining their own independence. I think that's fantastic. I think the other isles may follow suit. Those who are trying to lift off the veils of colonialism, or I should say the impact of colonialism that had on them. So we'll see what, what island's gonna be next. I would say also, I'll go with the teenager who was charged with four counts of murder today in a shooting in Michigan, which is very, very sad. And um, the young man is not cooperating with um, authorities. His name is Ethan Crumbly, and he's going to be charged as an adult. But I think also they're considering charging the parents involved in this. Prior to the shooting, Crumbly, with his parents, had a meeting with school authorities because they were concerned about his behavior. Mm. And I guess they were told, well, who knows what was said in that meeting? You know, let's just be clear. It's sad anytime a young person thinks that they can resolve 
whatever internal issues they have going on with the gut. And I think it's also sad that nothing's been done about it. There was a senator, and I forgot who was named, I saw it this morning, who made a very passionate speech last night on the Senate floor about how America, you know, loves their guns, but we have to do something about access to these guns um, and how certain representatives in our government are not doing anything about this. So that, that is the thing about um, this case is just so sad that, again, we have another case of where a young person has chosen to do use something that he had access to in his home. And most of these mass shootings that have occurred over the decades, and that's sort of sad to say decades, their guns, if they didn't buy it themselves, came from their house where they lived. And it's kind of sad to think that they chose to use a deadly weapon than choosing to get help for whatever ails them. That's right. And what we're discussing is the access to these weapons. You know, reasonable people can disagree about whether or not the Second Amendment is about, you know, arming each individual citizen. But the big issue is who has access to these to these weapons, to these these deadly instruments that have taken so many innocent lives. And, you know, when you put powerful weapons, whether that's whether that's a, a gavel or whether that's a gun in the hands of police officers, you put it into the hands of folks who are not yet prepared to handle the power that they wield, devastating outcomes always result. And this is one example of it. And those parents may very well, in most states, they would be held uh, potentially liable for providing the access to that weapon. I mean, if you look at it, Kyle Rittenhouse, the gun he used in the shooting came from his house and nothing was done to the parent. Nothing has been done to these parents who have had guns in their homes. Yes, they have the right to have them. But at some point, when do we start holding the parents accountable for their child's actions? When does that happen? The Kyle Rittenhouse case, a little bit different. The weapon, I know that the reports were that he took that weapon him across state lines. He actually was provided that gun once he got there by one of the uh, young men who was charged and who was testifying in that case. Um, still is bad. And in fact, in that instance, it looks like that young man will be charged, although the same reason that Kyle got off by virtue of the fact that there was an exception in the law that made it not illegal for him to hold it may also then exonerate the kid that gave it to him. But, but that access is what's so troubling and it really has to be addressed. But parents are, and can be held liable. I know in our own Ohio, there's a state statute that says if a child engages in certain violent or destructive behavior and they're underage, the parents are financially and can be criminally held liable. I what I find just sad about this whole situation because you know I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. It's a very important amendment to have, but it just shocks me every day how it just seems like just another school shooting and just how kids have to go through this like every day. I mean, active shooter drills and all that stuff. And when I watched the one video they had, like a bunch of students were in the classroom and the shooter was trying to, he was impersonating a sheriff trying to get in the room and everything. 
And it was just like, it, it just almost brought tears to my eyes because it's like, it just seems something needs to be done to prevent this from happening. But at the same time, it just seems like, like Republicans and just like conservatives and just people from the NRA just want to just sweep it under the rug and everything. And it's just something needs to be done. And I just, I wish I had the answer of what needs to be done. But all I know is that it's just sad when we have a generation of students who have to just encounter this. It just really upsets me. The education of a child who has been taught how to use a gun. Now, they, their hunting is a sport in our country. And majority of those who hunt practice proper usage of a gun and drill that into their children. As a reporter, I have covered enough places to see that happen and respect the hunter. And I've seen the respect the hunter has for his weapon, the respect for he has for other hunters and things like that. I have nothing against that. What I have against is when the parents have not done their due diligence to make sure they have a weapon in the house. There's not enough done to ed educate the children on how not to use the weapon. And then look for the signs possibly if there's an issue of that child that could warrant them using that weapon. Some parents will, won't see it, it'll escape them. Others do see it and don't know how to handle it. And I just think there has to be a better education a better handling of who and how has access, how you store it, how you use it. And you know, I don't mean advocating getting rid of it. No, I don't because there's too much going on that people feel the need for them. But I think better storage, better usage, better education, and also maybe even a mental health test to make sure you understand the ramifications of having a weapon in your home means for the family and what that does to the family. You know, in an ideal world, I would want a system where, you know, like with cars, you have to get your temps and your driving permits. You have to register like every year and stuff. In an ideal world, I would want that to be with a gun because that's like a big responsibility. You, having a weapon that can take the life of another person. In an ideal world, that's what I would want. But I know the Second Amendment's God-given right, so I know that will never happen. But it's well, just- but like, I mean, but I mean, like we have to, for our driver's license every four years, we got to get a new one. Why can't we every four years, anyone who owns a weapon and has a permit has to get it renewed? Because the NRA will say it's a God-given right. That's what they'll say. Anyway, well, <laughs> driving is a God-given right. We still do go through every- Well, yeah. Ago. Well, not necessarily. They'll say, you know, driving is a privilege, even though I think, you know, even though I disagree with that, because it's like, basically, you need- to have a car to basically function in society. So I just don't understand like why, like I said, like I said, I respect the second amendment, it's very important, but I'm just saying not a lot of people are, we need people to be more responsible. And that's what, that's what just really upsets me. It's just like, people shouldn't be able to be mad and then just sell their differences with a gun. It's like, it's just not right. And I just wish more people had an appreciation for life. And I wish we could do like have more gun control. But I, but the, but I figured out like back when Sandy Hook happened, if that if that didn't get more people to take gun control seriously, 
nothing ever will. And it kind of saddens me, but I think that's just, I think that's just the status where we are, especially now. Yes, definitely. We need to talk about the, the new COVID variant, unfortunately. Yes. It, it, it's, it's sad that um, we have a new variant. And but it's you know, Omicron. And, and, but we knew this was going to happen because the virus, there are several mutations of the virus. Some are minor. This one happens to be a little bit more fast acting. They're still trying to assess what exactly it is. They did announce today that there is one case here in the U.S., so it's here, and a gentleman from South Africa who was vaccinated, but his symptoms are mild and they're watching him. So we just have to see what happens in the next few weeks and listen and not be scared, but just move right along, keep living life, do what you do best, protect yourself, do what you need to do. And even if you've gotten a little lazy with your, using your mask and the hand sanitizer, now is the time to be stringent with yourself to do that. Because if you keep, if you protect yourself and you can't control the rest of the world, but you can control what you do, at least you know you've taken the right steps to keep yourself safe, whether you choose to get the vaccine or not. I got the vaccine and I got the booster. But at the same time, if you choose not to do it, do what you can to make sure that everyone around you is safe. Exactly. I agree with that. You know, I've always, I've already accepted that some people just aren't going to get the vaccine, but the least you could do is at least just wear a mask. That's just a thin piece of cloth over your mouth. It's not going to kill you. That's, I expect people to at least do that. But as we've seen during this pandemic, people are a lot more selfish than I've anticipated, but I hope that we can just rally through this too. That's all I'm hoping. One of the things I worry about with this Omicron variant, and they actually skipped over a couple of letters, as I understand, because of the potential xenophobic responses that may have come from naming them some of the uh, Greek letters that have Asian sounding names. My concern is all of the focus right now is on South Africa, and this created or this originated in South Africa. Now we're talking about in Africa as a whole, and you know, there's already this this uh, negative connotation that comes from things that happen or even just the existence of the motherland. As if there's some kind of backwards disease infested place, although we know that was the mother of civilization and all things uh, you know, uh, wonderful that were ever created as far as what we study. Anyway, my concern is another significant and hostile bout of xenophobia related now to Africa because that's where this new variant is coming from. Um, already kind of getting that sense. It's always like they're looking, everyone always looks for an excuse to have an issue with a particular ethnicity or country. And, and I just worry about how this will be received. I agree definitely. with you, I, yeah, I really agree. Yeah, I agree also. Okay, so let's move on to the last and probably the most important story of the day, which is concerning the Supreme Court and the Mississippi abortion law. So Andrea, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, the, um, today the um, Supreme Court heard arguments in the um, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, a case that may potentially change the constitutional guarantees to legal abortion. 
people for and against stood outside the Supreme Court as the argument went on. Um, if people listened to CNN or MSNBC or Today or NPR, you got to hear the arguments and the questioning from the Supreme Court justices. And it's interesting to hear what everyone focused in on. Some of the conservatives focused in on limitations. Um, a couple focused in on how to possibly focus their, their questions on how to possibly, I don't know, weaken Roe v. Wade. I know Justice Thomas kept asking everyone, well, what is the right? What is the liberty you're speaking of? What is it specific? But overall, it's going to be interesting to see what comes from this. Yeah, you know, the we always look at the pie as citizens. But what's going on now is an opportunity to look at the pie being made, the arguments being presented, how the justices who are ultimately going to make this most important and impactful decision that's going to have far-reaching impact, not just in the case that's being heard, but truly in how our state legislators, how our prosecutors, how our mayors and president proceed in a health issue that has really been a center point of discussion for the past really 100 years, but in legal sense for 50 years. We're seeing how people are, um, how the justices themselves are kind of giving an insight into what their positions are and how they may rule. Now, there's always been speculation about how justices will rule in any particular case. And a lot of times we've been off, but there's some predictability about the political leanings of these justices, even though it's a non-political position and even though it's a lifetime appointment, and even though all of them say they're not doing these for political reasons, the political leanings that they have is the reason that they actually get appointed by particular presidents. And we know that uh, the previous president packed the court with a number of conservatives who uh, many of his constituents hoped would ultimately get a case like this so that they would have the opportunity to gut or to simply overturn Roe versus Wade, which nationally will mean that each state essentially will have the ability to do what Mississippi has done, to do what Texas has done, to do what Ohio is trying to do, and that is to ban or to significantly reduce access to abortions. And, you know, that's, that's a, that's been a flashpoint um, uh, issue for debate. And, you know, oh my goodness, just over the years. Um, and, and with some of the questions, it's very possible that we are seeing what will ultimately be next summer, a decision that will result in the overturning of or the gutting of Roe versus Wade. What I found interesting throughout the argument, what they used as a basis for overturning Roe, where they point to, in particular, Plessy versus Ferguson, and how it is a, as one um, attorney said, it was a flawed decision when it was made, and how Brown, Brown versus the Board of Education helped to overturn that later on. But they were using kind of like that as that foundation, as credence to, yes, Supreme Court, you can overturn this. You can stop this from happening. And, but I think also in the arguments, nowhere did I hear, I heard about 
the legality of keeping it and limiting it and things like that and what people were quoting the cases people were especially Kavanaugh Brett Kavanaugh was quoting which I thought was very interesting how everyone was quoting the civil rights cases were quoting quoting other cases regarding healthcare and but nowhere did anyone discuss is it right to re, to control one aspect of a woman's body to do something i did not hear that argument per se i mean someone did in a way but i didn't hear the specifics of that that no no other medical procedure if i can say that has garnered this much attention and legality than whether or not to have access to an abortion. That's right. And, and what you'll see, you know, one of the things they taught us in law school is that we are the ones in, 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 in any type of advocacy or in an, in an adversarial uh, system that we should be the ones to, quote, frame the issue. So you, you, you try to frame the issue before your opponent frames the issue. And so the framing of the issue here will steer away from whether or not this is about a woman's right to choose whether to terminate her pregnancy, but ultimately whether the states should have the ability to determine within their own borders if their population would rather that be the rule, or whether the state and the state legislators have the ability to decide at what point life begins, which is one of the arguments that the uh, pro-life or the anti-choice movement makes quite often. Well, it was interesting. They're going to that, kick it back to the states as opposed to say that a woman does or does not have the right because they know that's too much of a flashpoint to make that decision. So you frame the issue in a way that says this is not a federal issue. This is not a constitutional issue. This should be left up to each individual state because they best know their citizens and what their citizens believe and how they believe. And that's what Brett Kavanaugh brought up. He said maybe it's not for us to decide at all and just leave it to you know, Congress and to the state legislature and let them decide and handle it and we let it alone. But depending on the way things are going right now, each state's trying to overturn Roe v. Wade without overturning Roe v. Wade. But it's causing women to go, if you can afford it, to go out of state where there is access for care they're gonna find a way to do what they want to do no matter what the law says. They did it before Roe v. Wade, they're gonna do it after Roe v. Wade. And I think that's, that's being lost in the argument that women find a way regarding their healthcare needs to get it done. They did it before Roe v. Wade and they'll do it afterwards, whatever the decision is gonna be. And that issue at the end of the day is still hanging there, even though someone's trying to tell you, no, you can't do that. And it was interesting that they discussed poor women who can't afford to do this and how you know, about limitations and things like that. But again, I didn't hear, I don't know, I guess there was something missing for me in the argument about why Roe v. needs to be upheld and not destroyed. But again, it's mainly men making this decision, even though there is a woman who does not believe in Roe v. Wade, it's mainly men who are making this decision. Again, I have an issue with that. Yeah, I, 
I personally don't get it. Honestly, it's like, it just seems to me that should just be a woman's choice and that's it. But like I said, that's just my opinion. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, but then again, where are we going this country legally? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it seems like for every, for every time we find justice, there are other those who, it takes decades to find justice. Um, like the number of cases that have been overturned. The, the gentleman who had been accused of killing Malcolm X, the, the, the man from Philadelphia who just got released from prison after 42 years in prison, the man who was accused of raping that author who wrote the book Lucky and come to find out he didn't have nothing to do with it, his DNA wasn't even there, and she has finally apologized for that. I mean, how do we stop these cases if we can, or can we? All I can say is hopefully the future will be better. That's really the only thing I got. What about you, Fanon? Well, <laughs> you know, you, you open doors and get me started talking about uh, criminal justice and criminal justice reforms and, and, and how for decades and for generations folks have been complaining about the over- uh, the over prosecution, the abusive nature of the the refusal of the of the state to recognize. I mean, all of these, you know, um, criticisms that have been going on for years. And it seems like finally in 2020, finally in 2021, finally in 2019, hopefully more in 2022, that the acknowledgement of the legitimacy of those complaints and criticisms has resulted in proactive steps to reverse what has been criticized. Now, Marilyn Mosby, who was the uh, state's attorney in, 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 in Maryland, is one who has been extremely, uh, has been incredibly progressive in creating systems and safeguards in place to not only make sure that those who are being prosecuted are doing, being done so in an equitable way, but also that previous cases are being looked at in a way to ensure that they were done correctly because it don't matter if you're writing a book correctly now, if you wrote it incorrectly before, then you won't shake your foundation. Another one has been Larry Krasner, we mentioned in Philadelphia. What they announced yesterday, I believe, was that there's a prosecutor who is now being prosecuted for abuse using his position in an abusive way as the prosecutor. We know that the prosecutor who refused to initially charge McMichaels and Bryant in Ahmaud Arbery's case is now being prosecuted for her refusal to do her job in that particular case from the beginning and was using it to hide them from responsibility. I mean, we're seeing these things happen. So we say, how do we keep them from happening in the future? We continue on the path that we're on now while at the same time being proactive in cleaning up those problems in the future and helping those who were wrongly convicted see the light of day and be compensated for the wrong that they were, they were done over time. It's encouraging, but it also was heartbreaking. It's encouraging because it looks like folks recognize, wow, these things actually have been happening. It's heartbreaking because we all realize now, oh my gosh, those things really have been happening. And there's still are people who are refusing to give those people their justice, even after they've been determined to be found innocent. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you, Andrea, for talking about the uh, all the news topics of the week. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And I also want to thank uh, Mr. Rucker for coming on and, and also expanding about the topics we talked about today. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
You can find more information about today's topics and past podcast episodes at www.thesensiherald.com, the SESH newsletter, or on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube, and TuneIn Radio. I'm John Reese, and have a good day.